0: Yeah, clap now. Okay. Um, Good morning and happy, happy new year. Um, Before we get started, um, let's pause just a second. Um, I'd like to pray. Father, I am so thankful for this people, this place, most of all you. Father, I thank you that um, you do love and you are real thank you so much for this time. And I pray that regardless of what words I prepare to say, that the ones that proceed from my mouth are the words that you have planned. And I'm ever so grateful that regardless of what does come out of my mouth, you can change it to what each one of us needs to hear to your glory. Amen. Um, this is a new year. I do love a new year. Um, I love a do over. Uh, so I'm always happy to have one. Uh, This may be... You may be big on New Year's resolutions. You know, you may have decided that, you know, this is the year you're going to lose 30 pounds. Or this is the year that you're going to run a marathon or quit smoking or, you know... Mine is I'm going to clean out the hall closet. Now, if you've seen my hall closet, you might think maybe you'd rather try a marathon um, because it's going to be pretty sad. But um, I do love the fact that I can grow and change. But I think one of the things that I just want to um, caution. One of the things that does cause me pause about New Year's resolutions sometimes is the motive behind some of those resolutions. Why do you want to do those things? Um, One of my favorite authors is named Brene Brown. She is actually a professor of social work at the University of Houston, and she's a researcher, and she researches people. Um, She cautions that in her research that she has found that most people fill in this blank, never blank enough. what you put in that blank and what I put in that blank differs but we all put something in the blank never good enough never thin enough never safe enough never right enough never strong enough never wise enough just never enough And I don't want that to be the motive behind those New Year's resolutions. I'm going to read something that really spoke to me out of one of her books. And here's what she says. She calls it the great lie. For me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. And the next thought is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in the bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing when the litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to that reverie of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, And our arguments with life. What makes this constant assessing and comparing so self defeating is that we're often comparing our lives, our marriages, our families, and our communities to unattainable, media driven visions of perfection. Or we're holding up our reality against our own fictional account of how great someone else has it. Nostalgia is also a dangerous form of comparison. Think about how often we compare ourselves and our lives to a memory that nostalgia has so completely edited that it never even really existed in the first place. Now, I don't know what Brene Brown's spiritual walk is. I have a hunch. But I want you to compare that to what the Word of God says. Look in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Look what it says. I'm not telling you this because I need anything. I've learned to be satisfied with everything that happens. I know how to live when I'm poor, and I know how to live when I have plenty. I've learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens, when I have enough to eat and when I go hungry. When I have more than I need and when I do not have enough, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Scarcity versus enough. It's one of my favorite scriptures. I think the reason that I love it so much is no matter where I am in my life, it speaks to me. Some of you have enough, and some of you right now are in need. My favorite song is Matt Redman's song, He Never Let Go. That's my life. He's been there in every calm and in every storm, in every high and in every low. He's the same, and he's constant. And some of us in this room are in a high. You're in a calm. That's great. Celebrate that. Enjoy every minute of it. Don't worry about what comes next. And some of us in the room are in the storm and in the low. He's there too. And you won't always be there. So much of Christianity to me is counterintuitive. You know, it's counterintuitive to me that the last shall be first. That the meek are actually the ones that inherit the earth. To love my enemies. And to be content. But the truth is, in order for me to grow in a healthy way and change for the better... I have to first be satisfied somewhat to the extent of I've got to be okay with who I am and what I have. I mean, think about it. You know, not much to do in Kosciuszko, so, you know, playing in the woods was really fun. But sometimes I'd get too far from the house, and I would realize, I don't know where I am. I was lost. And do you know I would do the strangest thing when I would realize I was lost? I would panic. And then you know what I would do? I'd run. Now, where am I going? I'm lost. I just know this isn't where I want to be. You know, you don't ever go in the grocery store hungry. You don't make good choices at that point. You know, you're like, that looks good. You see what I'm like Not good. We don't make good choices when we come from scarcity. We just don't. That's why we are literally the most indebted, obese, medicated, An addicted society that has ever existed in the history of the world. We panic and we just grab. We just know we're not where we want to be and any change seems like a good idea. Hear me say this. If you hear me say nothing else, I need you to believe to the core of your being That you are enough. This moment and this day, you're already enough. You don't have friends that are artists. They can do so many things I can't do. But what I've learned about when you create something, whether that creation's a painting or a drawing. a song or a story or a poem or a meal. Part of you goes into that creation. And God created you. He created you. And worthiness is your birthright. He made you worthy from the beginning. And He's not just your Creator, He's your Father. The moment in my life when I have felt the most vulnerable is that moment when I'm standing over my sleeping children and I look at them and I just think, I love you so much. It hurts. You are my world. And that's how God feels about you. He loves you so much. It almost hurts. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to waste energy trying to earn something that you already have. You know, Robert says lots of brilliant things. And one of the things he says is, that unity doesn't mean uniformity. You were specifically created uniquely. Don't strive to be uniform. Be who you are. You are wonderfully imperfect. And imperfections are what make you interesting. Perfect people are just no fun. They just aren't. We have that slide of that. Let me show you what my daughter gave one of her best friends. It's a piece of artwork by Brian Andreas. He's one of my favorites. He has a website called Story People. It says this. She gave it to one of her best friends. You're the strangest person I ever met, she said. And I said, you too. And we decided we'd know each other for a long time. He created things in you that are different from things in me. And he did them on purpose. You know, one of the um, saddest stories I think that I ever heard, and maybe it'd just be me, Jane Fonda. Most of you don't even know who Jane Fonda is. She was the original workout guru and an actress. And I heard her say in an interview one time that she had been very successful in her life, but the one thing she'd never been successful at was relationships. And that was her goal, to be successful in her marriage. And she was at that time married to Ted Turner. And not long after that, they interviewed Ted Turner. And somebody just casually asked him, what's a good day for Jane? And he said, Jane's best day is when she gets up and she works out for three hours and then she has a salad. And then she works out for three more hours and then she has another salad. And it made me so sad. What had she done to make the world a better place? To make somebody else feel better. But see, that was what she thought it would take to make that relationship work. See, if you want to lose 30 pounds, I think that's awesome. But don't lose 30 pounds to be loved. Lose 30 pounds because you are loved. And you just want to be helped. I'm going to tell you, hopefully, a very short version of a very long story. About 15 years ago, my dad, at this point, is in his late 50s. And my parents live in Kosciuszko. And about 9 o'clock one night, the phone rang. And my dad answered the phone. And a female voice on the other end said, Is Gerald Downs there? And my daddy said, This is Gerald. And a female voice on the other end said, I think you're my father. And my daddy's world flipped upside down. see, what my dad and my mom knew that my brother and I didn't at that moment was my dad had been very briefly married when he was 17 years old. My dad had um, a horrific childhood. There's just no other way to say it. It was horrific. And he quit school at 16 and joined the Army. And he was stationed in Illinois, and he met a young woman in her early 20s. And she had been married before to an abusive husband. And she and my dad met, very quick whirlwind courtship, and got married. Now, what a 20 something year old girl would have to do with a 17 year old boy, I can't tell you, except he was rock star handsome. Now, the reason I know this is a few years ago, my niece was going through some pictures, some old pictures of my mother, her grandmother. And she happened to stumble across some pictures of my mother's old boyfriends, and they were hot. Are you with me? And so my niece looked at my mother, and she flipped through, and she picked up one, and she said, Mama, why didn't you marry him? And my mother said, I did. All right, stunned my niece. All right, my day looked a little different at 70. All right, so apparently that was it. Everybody wants to marry James Dean, so. They were married about six months, and she came home and said, I don't love you, and she left, and she divorced my dad, and she went back and remarried her abusive husband, and what had happened was, unbeknownst to him, she was pregnant, and she told nobody except her sister. So Debbie grew up believing that that father that abused her was her father. Her mother had died a few months prior to that phone call. And after her mom died, her aunt took her aside. And she said... That man wasn't your dad. I need to tell you a story. And so she did. And do you know when my dad began to love her? At the phone call. She was his. And the reason I tell you that story is I'm the only person on the planet that knows what she missed. She missed being loved by the greatest father on the planet. I know that because I got it. You see, when I grew up, I really believed this. I'm delightful. I am simply delightful. And if you don't know that, you don't have all the information. My daddy told me I was delightful. That's what daddies do for girls. I was was and am as loved as perfectly by a dad as, as you can be. That was her birthright. And she was told a lie. And she didn't know that she was delightful. And when she found out she was, it changed her whole world. It changed her whole world. I don't want you going through your life believing a lie. Because as lovely and as awesome as Gerald Downs is, my heavenly father's better. And he's your dad. See, if my dad had known that she existed, he would have turned heaven, hell, and earth over to find her. But he didn't know. But God does. Because he isn't just your father. He's your creator. And from the moment of conception. From the moment that you were an idea in his head. He has loved you and delighted in you. And pursued you. You are already. One of my son's friends, one time when they were in high school, we had a friend, um, a little eight-year-old family friend come visit, and when Michael and his friend walked in, the little boy had a yo-yo, and Michael's friend picked up the yo-yo and just starts doing all these mind-boggling tricks with this yo-yo. I mean, I just, I, he wasn't just walking the dog, Do you understand? I mean, he is flipping it, and it goes on things, and he catches it, and I mean, it's around the back, and under, I was just... Do you know how to do that? And he looked at me and very dryly said, I was a lonely seventh grade boy. <laughs> and he was. But he learned some cool things when he was a lonely seventh grade boy. He was enough and is enough. My daughter looked at him and said, Your problem is you're born in the wrong family. If you were a gang, you'd be the coolest gang. It's shit right to the top. We don't have any talents. <laughs> you are unique. You are beloved. And you are enough. And the other thing I need you to believe is we really do have enough. We do. one of my favorite scriptures is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and you know what it says you know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper you not to harm you plans for a hope and a future God wastes nothing no experience and your plan and my plan are different You know, Robert says so many great things. And one of the things he says that always speaks to me and reminds me is, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't do that. Because you're either going to feel superior or inferior. And superiority breeds arrogance, and inferiority breeds resentment. You can't do that. Your life's different than mine. You have different strengths, different weaknesses. Some of you can sing. I want to sing. I've asked Jesus. He's not answered. I think he you knows I'd go in like I was in a Disney movie. You know, if I were ordering it like Taco Bell, I'd be like, can I help a taco? I mean, it would be bad. It would be really bad. They'd be, you know, I'll be looking at me, looking at me. So he didn't give me that gift. He gave some of you that gift. I think that's great. You know, if you're a teacher and I say the word IEP, you immediately know what I'm talking about. Individualized education plan. Special needs students, get one. And they're a lot of work. Because in that plan, that plan is put together by parents and teachers and administrators and counselors and specialists. And it says exactly what that student needs to be successful. It gives short-term goals and long-term goals and timelines. It is a lengthy document. And it's unique to that student. And that's what God has for you. And that's what God has for me. It's individualized. You can't compare yours to mine. So when I start comparing mine to yours, I'm in trouble. You see, I have some things that you don't have. He's not going to work on you about that. You've already got it. You've got some things I don't have, some traits I need to develop. He's going to work on those for me. I had a student probably now about eight years ago took a nap in the dorm when she laid down she could see and when she woke up she was blind she had a degenerative eye condition and she knew in theory that could happen any time in her life but it happened one afternoon well now what am I going to do I can't get her a book in braille she doesn't read braille She just became blind. Now, luckily for us both, she was brilliant. So Traca would come to class and listen. And then after class, Traca would come upstairs. And I would teach Traca one-on-one. And I would take Traca's hand and I would say, here's what the graph does. Can you see it in your head? Yes, ma'am. When she took a test, it would have to be an oral test. I'd say, Traika, the problem says this. Can you see that in your head? Yes. You tell me what you would do. And she would tell me, and I would write it down. And then I would read it back to her. Can you see that in your head? Yes, ma'am. What do I do next? And she would tell me. Did I do that for every student? No. That's what Traca needed. God gives us exactly what we need when we need it. It's just He doesn't always explain it. And you may say, you don't understand, I'm a mess. Well, here's what I found out in my life. Most of the time, your mess becomes your message. That's the beauty. And you may say, well, I asked for A and I got B. You must not have needed A. You must have needed B. I wish God explained everything he did, but he doesn't. I wish I understood everything he did, but I don't. But I do trust that there is a plan. And whether I understand the plan or not, he's working the plan. Whether I like it or not, he's got a plan. He redeems everything. I'm going to show a clip. It's one of my favorite clips. It's from the karate kid, the old school karate kid. You know, he wanted to learn karate, and he asked the master, you know, can you teach me karate? And the master says, yes. And he says, but here's the deal. You have my word. I will teach you karate. Your part is, you do what I tell you. And then he proceeds to tell him to wax some cars. But I want to learn Karate. I need you to paint a fence, but I want to learn karate, I need you to scrub a floor. And Daniel-san gets really mad and blows up and says, you're not doing your part. And this is his master's response.
1: Sandofra, sandofra, big sucker, sandofra, sandofra. Now show me wax on wax off. Hey.
0: Wax on, wax
1: off. Wax on wax off Wax on hat. Wax off. Concentrate. Look my eye. Rock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on hat. Wax off. Wax on hat ax off that Backs on. ax off Bush. Show me pentafence. fence up down. up down up down other side look I always look I Show me paint the House, say say not side, side side, side yes, show me wax on, wax off yes yes yes, yes show me paint Hey! fence yes, that yes, yes show me side of side yes, yes yes me, Sandofra. Hats! Hats! Hats!
0: so if you're in the middle of waxing on and waxing off you must need those skills you don't know what fight you have ahead now you would have never been able to convince that lonely 7th grade boy he'd be the coolest 20 year old on the planet but I know him and he is and the reason he is is because he was a lonely 7th grade boy God wastes nothing. It's an individualized education plan. It's to make us look more like Him. And the reason is once I'm okay, once I really do believe that I'm enough, and once I really do operate out of what I do have, I turn on a faucet and water comes out. That is magical. I can walk and I can see and I can hear. I see colors. I have people that I love. People that love me. It allows me to see other people. It takes my eyes off myself and puts my eyes on you. One of the most beautiful stories I heard in the last few months was a story about a waitress in New Hampshire in the fall. Early 20s, single mom fifteen month old working at Ruby Tuesday's waiting tables. She walks up to take an order and it's two women dressed out of their national garb, their national guard uniforms. And they're on furlough. They're not getting paid. And they're discussing, you know, what can we order? And so they order. And when the time comes from the check, Instead, they get this note from the waitress. Thanks to the government shutdown, people like you that protect this country are not getting paid. However, I still am. And lunch is on me. Thanks for serving, ladies. Have a good day, Sarah. You see what she did? It meant so much to those two women. They put it on social media, and it blew up. And the way I found out about it was this waitress, Sarah Hodell was on Ellen. Now, Ellen wrote her a $10,000 check. So I'm not telling you you'll get $10,000. But what I am saying is this. Instead of thinking, I don't have a husband. I don't have a house. She was living with her mother. I don't have a great job. That night, she took home $8 total. Not even enough to pay for her gas. She looked at what she did have. I have a job. I have a beautiful 15-month-old. Let me share with you. So we can choose scarcity. (laughs) Or we can choose enough. And enough makes us a grateful, loving, forgiving, joy-filled people. And that's my prayer for this year. That you truly believe to the core of your being that you are enough. That we look and operate out of what we can do, not what we can't do. What we do have, not what we don't have. And if you're in the low or the storm, it is going to be for your good and the good of other people. I promise. Let me close this. Father and Creator God, I am most grateful for you. I'm so grateful that we are a mess and that you can turn that into a unique glorious message. I'm so thankful that you redeem all experiences. I'm so thankful we don't have to earn love. We already are loved. We don't have to earn worth. We already are worthy. Help us to count our blessings and operate out of contentment rather than scarcity and believe the truth that you are the lover of us all. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray.